We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From the Clark Ford Studio in Oxford, Mississippi, MBW Digital proudly presents the Oxford Exxon Podcast. I'd say thanks for tuning in. But why am I going to give you a round of applause for something you're supposed to do, to be frank? And now, here are your hosts, Chase Parham. And broadcast school has really paid off. And Neil McCready. I deserve to be on TV. Welcome into this Thursday morning edition of the Oxford Exxon Podcast. Chase Parham, Neil McCready, Jeffrey Wright should be joining us in a few minutes on the Campbell Clinic Hotline. Big day in the uh, football coaching world, Nick Saban. Hanging up the uh, whistle, retiring after 17 seasons in Tuscaloosa. Obviously a storied career where he is the greatest college football coach of all time. We'll talk about that. Pete Carroll out in Seattle as well, staying on with the Seahawks as an advisor. It's about two huge legends of the game. And then this morning, Bill Belichick out with the New England Patriots. Do not know what his next move is at this point, but three huge coaching moves there. Within 24 hours inside the sport of football, we'll talk about all that. Also, last night at the Pavilion, Ole Miss trouts Florida to win its first SEC game of the season, now 1-1 one one in SEC play, and they've got Vanderbilt at home on Saturday at noon for that one. So a lot of stuff coming up here on today's show, a show brought to you every day by the Oxford Exxon Highway 6 West in Oxford, Beer Cave, Lunch Specials, 569, Couple Sides Bread, Any Size Fountain Drink. Again, get the largest one because it's all the same price. Might as well get more bang for your buck. They got the new superstore going up in Brook and Macomb, not Brookhaven, Macomb, there on uh, in South Mississippi. So that and more coming up on today's show. And we're coming from the Clark Ford studio with Mr. McCready a few hours before he's got to head in for the day. Yep, uh, Clark Ford in Amory, Mississippi, six six two two five seven nineteen hundred. Call that number and ask for Corey Clark. Tell Corey what Ford product you're looking for. He will uh, send you a quote within fifteen minutes in business hours. Right to the bottom line, no hassle, no haggle. You get your quote. The rest up to you. You can shop the quote around, so you're right. Or you can do what uh, I've done, what I recommend that you do, and that's hop into a Clark Ford today, 662-257-1900. Jeffrey Wright, all other guests, join on the Campbell Clinic hotline. Campbell Clinic in Oxford now, 2608 South Lamar Boulevard, Suite 102, just across the street from the cottages at Hooper Hollow. Campbell Clinic provides full-service orthopedic care, everything from sports medicine to foot and ankle surgery to spine and total joint care to pediatric orthopedics, physical therapy, and more. To book an appointment, go to CampbellClinicOxford.com or call 901-759-3111. Walk-ins always welcome at the Campbell Clinic, Monday through Friday, 730 a.m. to 4 p.m. 
I guess you're on this uh, no fluids and all that stuff till you head in, so you got a full day of of, of nothing from a fast standpoint. Yeah, I'm. I can have I can have some water until eight forty five. Okay. Take advantage but of I that and just start guzzling. But I can't have. Well, I can have like one bottle of water. I can't have. Okay. Uh, I can't have any coffee or anything like that. The food part's no big deal. I don't ever eat really before ten thirty, eleven in the morning ever. So that's not a huge deal. But the um, the lack of coffee is palpable today. Yeah. Jeffrey, hello. How are you? Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. I, I was I was laughing as I was doing and writing some stuff down for this morning. You've got the two fan bases. We're mostly going to focus on Saban here for the majority of this portion of the oh, show. We're not going to talk about the Tigers' big overtime win over UTSA, ranked 280th in Ken Palm? Well, that's win. that's good for the Tigers big and win. good for the Rebels compared to losing that game against UTSA. That, is, the that is true, but... Ken Palm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the Tigers now eight and one in uh eight and one in games decided by six points or fewer. There you go. That's the spin. Late oh. game, late game know how. So the only one is Ole Miss. Correct. Okay, gotcha. I I, I enjoyed it so much. Uh in all ways last night. You have Auburn rolling tumors corner because Saban is retiring. They are celebrating the retirement of Saban and Tuscaloosa with their victory celebration. And then in Tuscaloosa, we're playing Dixieland Delight and dropping oatmeal cream pies at the feet of a statue like the dude died. Like, I I am so glad the day before they didn't go, hey, just FYI, tomorrow there's going to be speakers and all this stuff in front of the statue, and they're going to be putting little Debbie cakes. I would have thought the dude was dead, guys. Like, I would have said, oh, shit, he died. He fell over with a heart attack. What are we doing? So my first reaction was the same thing. It's like, guys, he's still alive. Um... But then I, you know, I get it. Look, I mean, you're literally program. celebrating the greatest college football coach of all time. I think I honestly believe this, and this pisses people off, but I think this is true. I think to fully grasp what football means to that state, you have to live there for a period of time. Or you got to be like me and have like my, my mom, like my entire cousins, aunt, uncle, like they live it, they breathe it. They like, I, so I get it. It, it's just different. It, it, it's different in a good way. It's different in a bad way. It's, it's just different. It's, it's, it's obsessive. It's 365. It's constant. Um, Do you have the, cousins-in-law? Like my, my cousin's husband, they, they went to the 2014 game, and he is a extremely like successful, like awesome accountant, like well-put-together dude. But in the 2014 game, he's sitting with my little brother, and my brother goes, he just, like, took off. Like, it was just, like, he could not. The thought of losing to Ole Miss was just, like, unthinkable. Like, it's it, it consumes their every being. Like, it's, you know what I mean? Like, I do get what Neil's it, saying. It, it literally sets their self-esteem, their life direction, like, what, what, what their mm-hmm. day, month, week, and year is going to be like. Yeah, I've I've told people here when they're like, you know, well, I wish I wish it was more this way here. I'm like, no, you don't. You really don't. My my I mean, brother, when my brother was a student there, he and my dad went to the the national title game at Santa Clara, uh, where they got beat by Clemson by I don't know, remember that was the blowout. And he said they were like on an elevator going down like after the game, and they were riding with with someone else. And he's like, well, you know, I, I guess. 
I guess you you know we'll, we'll be back next year, but you know you know I I know it's got to be tough for you. Only one and one in championship games. It's like what? I it's like what what would Ole Miss people give to to be one and one in national title games? Yeah, anything, literally anything. It, it just, but you know, Saban was such a. And the same the coach, not the man, because the man's very much alive. He's actually in the Malmore building as we speak. Um, Saban, the coach, was transformative for that program uh, in a way that I just don't know that people fully grasp. I don't know that they'll fully grasp it until history tells the story years from now and when they probably dip back to being a normal program. He took Bear Bryant's program, and they were still living off Bear Bryant. They'd had a moment with Gene Stallings. They'd had a moment with, you know, Ray Perkins, Bill Curry, and they'd had a moment with, um, you know, Dennis Franchoni. And Dubose uh, did win the SEC. Remember they yeah, Dubose in a year where they won the SEC and they played against uh, Michigan in the Orange Bowl. I mean, they they had moments. Mike Shula had a ten win season. They had moments, but what was obvious when you went to an Alabama game in that era? was that they were still very much focused on the past. They were having a very difficult time moving away from the Bear Bryant era. Everything pregame was about Bryant. The people they would get to run out of ball, this this man played for Coach Bryant, and he did this, and he did this, and Coach Bryant, and Coach Bryant. And, and Bryant was gone. And as the years passed, the players that you were recruiting – Less, less and less knew who Bryant was. They, he, he didn't mean anything to them. Um, and when they, they went through the Mike Price debacle, which was embarrassing, they'd gone through sanctions, pretty severe sanctions, in fact. The NCAA hammered them. Um, then they, 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 they went through that, the Shula era. Shula was a beloved former Alabama player, was the the quarterback who set up the the Van Tiffen kick that still sort of lives and um, lives forever with with Alabama people. Um, you know the fifty two yard field goal at Legion Field to beat Auburn at the buzzer. Um, Shula was that guy, Don Shula's son. He played in Alabama. I mean, he was a he was a very popular player there, and they vilified him. He just didn't win enough. And the truth is, their program was becoming kind of like. Kentucky is right now. It's fine. They're fine. They're, they're good. You had to take them seriously, but you could beat them. And I'd argue Tennessee because maybe, maybe Tennessee, sure. But they were, they were fine. They weren't, they weren't a national. No one was putting Alabama by default in the national conversation. And Alabama desperately, the state of Alabama, desperately wants to be in the national conversation. It's what's going to ultimately just drive you freeze crazy. Um, and they go out and they go through that search that we've talked about on this show a lot because I covered it. It was one of the big kind of moments of my career. And Mal Moore had all sorts of pressure to make a big hire. And he wanted to hire Nick Saban. Nick Saban would not take his call, would not talk to him. I think Sexton would talk to him, but Saban would not. They had to finish a season, and Mal Moore buckled, and he hired Rich Rodriguez. I know what Rich says. I'm just telling you all, he hired Rich Rodriguez. And a day later, 
when Rodriguez had second thoughts, at that point, Mal Moore said, you know what, we're going to wait. We're going to wait for the Dolphins season to end. And it did, and he went down there, and he got his man, and Saban's deal was very simple. Give me the program. Get everybody the hell out of the way. It's my program. I don't care what happened in the past. We're going to run it my way. And 17 years later, he goes down, at least as of this moment, as undisputably the greatest college coach of all time at the same place that was having a hard time moving on from the previous greatest coach of all time. It's a remarkable story. It's one that 20 years from now, 30 years from now, 50 years from now, when people go back and study it, I hope they're able to put it in the proper context because it was a, a moment in time where if anyone other than Mal Moore had been in, in charge, they would have buckled. They would have hired someone else. And Nick Saban to, to Alabama would never have happened. What was the expectation or reaction when he was hired? I mean, what was sort of going on around that fan base? Like, were they completely all in immediately, or did it take yeah. a little time to? They were all in immediately. They, they, he had won so big at LSU. And um, it was when he arrived in Tuscaloosa, it was like the Beatles arriving in North America. I mean, it was, it was like a religious event. There's video. That was the first big. That was the first big press conference that I remember, like where that was the moment, I think, in time. And, and maybe there had been others, but that was the one that really stood out to me. It's like the press conference announcing the coach became a massive deal. Yeah, and, and, and very early on, it was it was quite evident that he was going to have his hand on every aspect of the program. And when know, they started really hot, didn't they start like six and one? They started really, really hot. Uh, I recall, like they beat the hell out of Tennessee, and then they they limped home down the stretch. They had the the La Monroe loss every, that everything mm -hmm. talked about, where they were starting to get frustrated. But the key difference was like that was the first time I remember Alabama like taking pride in recruiting rankings because they were like the that, they had the number one class coming in, and and you could kind of see, and then very quickly the next year. You know, they they go undefeated in the regular season. The big game that I remember, the big game that I remember was they were going to Georgia, and that was the year that Georgia had no Sean, Stafford, A.J. Green. I think Georgia was like either preseason number one or preseason number two. It, they, it was supposed to be their year, and they went to Athens, and they wore the black jerseys. The, that's right. Yeah, Georgia yeah, yeah. wore the black jerseys, and that's when Scott Cochran did the, you know why they're wearing black jerseys? They're going to an effing funeral and they like beat the hell out. It was like 38 to six or 38, nothing at one point. They lose to Tebow in the title game, but you know, that, that was, you know, you could tell very quickly, Hey, it was on. We can talk about Saban's tenure forever and we'll do it as, as, as shows continue. Cause this thing is brand new. I, I have one more question on that. Then I kind of want to spin it forward a little bit. Neil, how, how long do you think, and maybe it's just a guess, did Nick know this was coming? I mean, we keep talking about it all year. You referenced the Gilbo story from back yeah. early in the preseason. Nick was obviously different. It looked like he was enjoying it. He was cutting up. Now it's what his team needed, but it did also just look different in general. I felt like a lot of the, hey, he was doing meetings yesterday and we're blindsided. That felt very smokescreen to me. How long do you feel like this was known in your opinion? Uh, at least late last week. Early this week, the beginning of the week, there was just a ton of buzz about it that, hey, I mean, I, I talked to some people that I normally, you know, really trust who were like, hey, keep an eye on this week. 
Saban, Saban might walk away. I took the Gilbo story back in September very seriously. I, I've told you guys this on the air, off the air. I, I, I thought, I know Glenn. Glenn covered Nick at, at uh, LSU. Uh, Saban really liked Gilbo, still likes him. And Glenn had sourcing with some of Saban's longtime friends. And Saban's got these buddies that he's been buddies with going all the way back to West Virginia. And the the wording in that story, it was the week of the Ole Miss game, was, hey, if it's not this year, it's next year. It's it's coming. Not much longer. Excuse me. Um, Not much longer. And he wants to enjoy retirement. Uh, Terry wants to enjoy retirement. They've built this $17 million, I think, uh, million-dollar home. And is it Lake Jupiter? Is that where Tiger Woods and those guys golf? A little Tiger's in Jupiter, but I mean, they're, yeah. they're all they're all. It's, I didn't know. I, yeah, I didn't realize he'd gone over there. But, but okay, yeah, sounds good. It's, it's West Palm, it's, Jupiter. They're all kind of. It's on that. It's on that uh, east coast of Florida. Down, you know, it's where all the golfers are. Yeah, so it's it's that's where he's built a place, and it was like either about to be completed or just recently completed, and he wanted to enjoy it, and um. You know, there was a lot of buzz after they beat Georgia in the SEC title game that, hey, look, if this team happens to win it, it's over. He's walking away on top. And then, you know, this week they were looking to hire a defensive coordinator and some of those things. But I don't know. I guess it's always a surprise because no one really – there was no – there wasn't much media stuff going, hey, there's some, you know, smoke out of Tuscaloosa that the end is near. But – when it happens, you you can't be. He's seventy two years old. You you can't be blown away that 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 a seventy two year old man who has achieved all that he can possibly achieve in his field decides to go enjoy his retirement. And you know, you heard some rumblings yesterday about family things, and and, and I certainly hope those things are not true. But if they are, it makes it even more understandable. I mean, you know, he's a grandfather now, and. Um, his children are getting older, his, his, his wife, he's been with Terry for what, 50 years, I'm sure, or, or more. And I'm sure that, um, you know, they want to enjoy the spoils of their labor and, and he's made tons of money off the field with the Mercedes dealerships and all that stuff. I mean, he, what is he coaching for to win another title? What difference does it make? I mean, we, we're already sitting here. We said this back in the season. They could have gone 0-14 this year. We would have said that he's the best coach in the history of the game. And what he did with this particular team, I, I did think when they lost to, to Michigan, I mean to, um, yeah, who did they lose to Michigan? When they lost to Michigan in the, in the semifinal in overtime, I thought when his reaction to that was that, hey, this team got all, it, it, we, we got all out of this team that we possibly could. I really enjoyed this team. I'm proud of this team. I thought, that doesn't really sound like Saban. And it it sent my alarms up a little bit, but I don't know. It's a long answer to he had to retire eventually. In in, in hindsight, did you did y'all see the video of when he met Kirby at midfield during the SC championship game? And now it could have just been nothing. I, I don't know Kirby well enough to read anything anything at all. But Kirby was kind of emotional talking to him. Really, like was kind of looked like he was thanking him. He kind of hugged him twice. It. it in hindsight, it looked like maybe Kirby knew even when they were in Atlanta that day. 
It just it, it had a weird feel to it when you go back and watch it and go, God, he's almost kind of saying goodbye right there, it looks like. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I've also thought that the whole year kind of had that kind of vibe. Like I felt yeah. like we got a lot more video of him kind of soaking in the moments where, you know, like pregame, you know, he'd kind of like look up at the part, you know, the newer parts of the stadium down in Tuscaloosa. And it's like it did feel like he was kind of soaking it all in. And I don't know, for me, like personally, I kind of I had the other connection because my longtime high school football coach, he this was his last year, too. And I could kind of see both of them like there were a lot of moments where it felt like both were kind of sink, like letting it all sink in. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I, I'd kind of made note of that. But the problem with saving that I'd had is like, I don't know, I just I I had gotten so sick of the every single year. This is the year. This is the year. This is the year that it's finally over. It's finally. I was like, you know what? I I, I just I'd resign myself to exactly what happened yesterday. The the day that the day that it would actually happen and go, holy shit. And that's exactly what happened. When uh, if Harbaugh goes to the NFL, the only active head coaches with a national title starting next season are Mac Brown, Dabo Swinney, and Kirby Smart. There will only be three. Well, you know um, the, the Georgia talking point right now, right? Yeah, we'll see. The only, Neil, act, the, only act, the only active head coach, the only active head coach to beat Georgia now is no one. Oh, interesting. That's the Georgia talking point. Oh, that's fair. Uh, Dan Lanning reported all over the internet. He was uh, interviewing with Alabama already. Is it his job, Mr. McCready? I think so. Um, that's always been the rumbling. Uh, there was a lot of talk yesterday that, that he was even in Tuscaloosa last night. Maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. I don't know. Uh, there's a lot of talk that Alabama will move very quickly, which tells you that they have their guy. Uh, there's some other names that pop up and Greg Burns, one of these people that says, Hey, don't believe anything. If it doesn't come from me, I'm, I'm going to go into lockdown. He's very stealth in these things. Um, I mean, if, if you told me that it was D'Amico Ryan's, I would completely buy it. Assuming that he was willing to leave an NFL gig that appears to be very promising, but you know, that makes no with sense gener- to me at all. With a generational quarterback potentially. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean, it would be a real risk, but again, I put, listen, the Alabama guys that played at Alabama that are from Alabama, all that stuff, I put nothing past anyone. It's different. It has this, it's it's religious to them. And so I, I, I understand. Put, I also think, though, like another thing that I think that has been interesting about this retirement, look at, look at the, you know, it started with Roy at North Carolina. Then Coach K takes his retirement tour. Jay Wright steps down, and Jay was younger than all, stepping down. And now Saban, and a lot of the reports are, it's, you know what, this era is just not for me. And if I'm sitting there and I'm an NFL coach, like I think there used to be an argument at times, like, you know, NFL, go to the, col- go to the college game, you can make probably a little bit more money. Um, I-, I just think the fact that you literally have I don't know. What what do they have? Maybe a month off at most. I mean, it's at the college level. Oh, yeah. I'm not even sure. I'm not even sure they have that. I mean, uh, look, at, the, look, at, look at Lane, for example. Lane coaches the uh, the Peach Bowl on December the 30th. He comes back on the 31st and then sometime on New Year's Day, he goes to the Bahamas or wherever he went for a week. 
and and look, ninety something percent of the fan base was like, "Yeah, go do whatever you got to do." But there were people that were like, "You should be recruiting. You should be active on this." It's that there's there's an expectation among some in the college game, and I think it it absolutely holds some coaches hostage that you are literally never off ever. And if you're if you're now living in this world that is like somewhere in between college athletics and professional sports. Why would you like, I just don't understand, like other than there are certain gigs that are going to pay more money, but let's not be, let's not be naive. If D'Amico were to get an Alabama offer, the Texans are going to sit there and have a chance to throw more money at him too. Yeah. There are the other a- names, the other names that are out there that you hear a little bit just under the table, some or under the, under the radar. This is Mike Norvell talk. I think Byrne likes Norvell. Sarkeesian. Uh, Sarkeesian. Kalen DeBoer. And then, look, here's the wild card, is until the Falcons make a hire, the Kirby Smart stuff's going to be out there. And, you know, if you're if you're Georgia today, are you going to Kirby and going, hey, I just, it's your job forever and ever, but is there any, are you, because I think the guy that Georgia would want to hire if Kirby left is Lanning. Oh, I definitely think that's true. I think so, the- you know, I mean, that's it's one of the things I'm kind of watching today, just, the biggest does question Alabama's, like, does Alabama's thing slow down a little bit because the landing people say, Hey, what's up with Georgia? Because I think if you asked a hundred coaches today, you can be the coach at Georgia, or the coach at Alabama, they take Georgia in this era. I think that's probably true. I think the thing though that I'm more fascinated by, we always talk about you never want to be the guy that replaces the guy. And, you know, there's countless examples of that. The guy that replaced Nick Saban at LSU. Les Miles is a significantly inferior coach to Nick Saban. Still won a title. Like that the question that I have is has Nick transformed Alabama in the same way that he transformed LSU to where LSU's had down years, sure. But there's no question LSU post Saban is a completely different program like the 20 years after Saban left is a completely yeah. different program and completely more stable, more high-end than the 20 years that preceded Nick Saban. No doubt. And so is Alabama now, is Alabama going to be like that? Where, yeah, you're not going to have Nick Saban six championships, whatnot, but the Alabama program is still going to be, you know, the top of the class or close to the top of the class. Or is this, you know, Florida after Spurrier, Florida after Urban Meyer, USC, after Pete Carroll, although there's some other factors, obviously with NCA stuff and whatnot, like that to me is the larger question is, did Nick, has Nick transformed Alabama and given them just like the blueprint as he did LSU? Or is now that Nick is gone, you're going to start to see, you know, old power players try to regain a seat at the table and cause the dysfunction that got them in the spots that they were in. But the issue you have with that a little bit is that, Alabama had already lost some of the blueprint because of the era we're in, that they don't necessarily have the most money. It's a different game than it was even three years ago. And look, they're obviously incredibly competitive. They're an elite program. Don't get me wrong. But this guy is not only being graded, whoever the new coach is, against Saban. He's being graded against Saban in a more difficult era. But process-wise in people's heads, it's probably isn't going to relate like that. You know what I mean? Is that, I mean, you're, you're playing on a higher difficulty mode now, too, just because of the era we're in. Well, I mean, I think, post- I think 
I think what you're referring to explains to Neil's point why if you gave 100 coaches the Alabama job yeah, or Georgia. the Georgia job, I think the overwhelming majority would pick Georgia. I think I think that speaks to your point. They did still have, you know, in the team talent composite ranking, they still had the number one roster. Oh, look, I you can that, still win a national title at Alabama. No, yeah, I yeah, think that on. was kind of the biggest problem that I had with this Alabama team was it was very difficult to assess how far they had or had not fallen just because I was so underwhelmed by the quarterback spot. Like, if they would have just had, you know, if they have Jackson Dart, they probably win a national title, right? I mean, I think we're all in agreement, right? Say that again. If if Alabama would have had Jackson Dart, I think they win a national title. Because I think what we see is that Michigan game. That Michigan yeah, game was, was the national title. Yeah, probably so. And they're yeah, the just Alabama Michigan to... game was the was the title. I mean, Texas Alabama would have been a hell of a game, but yeah, yeah. But I mean, Texas Texas did what they did against Washington, you know. Yeah. yeah. And I think Alabama would have done the same. Alabama would have done similar things to Washington that that Michigan did. Going to go ahead and get out ahead of this just for the heck of it. Um... If it is Lanning, would Oregon be a potential place that would come after Lane? I mean, I, I know we're speculating, it. but everybody's yelling at us on, on a podcast land to at least ask the question. I'd be shocked. That's not the job that I think he'd leave for. Look at it this way. They made a huge, everyone talks about Nike money and, and Uncle Phil and all that and don't get me wrong. You'd rather have it than not. What Dan's contract was what seven million dollars? I mean, Kiffin's making what now? What was the new extension? Do we ever get financials? It's, the financials didn't change, but he's like right around nine. It's like eight, nine, nine, somewhere in there. So he's making more money in a place where a dollar goes a lot farther than Eugene, Oregon. Um. I would be more concerned if the job is not, if the Alabama job's not landing, and then all of a sudden we start to see some other movement. That That's where I would get concerned. I just, I'm not saying never say never, because I'm certainly not in the camp that I think, that I think uh, Lane Kiffin's retiring as the Ole Miss head coach. But I don't think, I, I don't, I think now what Ole Miss has done is Ole Miss has given him a really good job that allows him to only leave for, like, he doesn't have to do the kind of, I'm going to do a lateral move just to kind of, like, get out of here and and reset the clock. I think Ole Miss has given him a place that he can kind of be patient and wait for the big job. Can keep him in the national conversation in the league he wants to be in. Lane Kiffin wants to be in the SEC, not the Big Ten. Here's the thing, and Jeffrey and I talked about this yesterday. You, you you don't know capital K, capital N, capital O, capital W. You don't know what Oregon looks like in the Big Ten. You can guess, and it might be awesome, and it might be awful, and it might be just normal, but you don't know. They won't do it until the fall. You don't know. So there's a, a there's an uncertainty with that job that can't go away between now and September. You don't know what Oregon in the Big Ten is going to look like. You still well, and 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 furthermore, like the team that Oregon is zero and three against, and Dan Lanning's zero and three against is Kalen DeBoer's Washington. Look at how Washington looked against Michigan. 
Yeah. And again, that's not a, I'm not saying that that's like 100% fair and that's apples to apples, but it is a very different league from a physical standpoint. Now, maybe yeah. the Big Ten can't keep up with their speed, yeah. which is also entirely possible. Yeah. I mean, yeah. When you say you don't know, you're not saying, oh, they're doomed. No, they might go dominated. I don't know, but you don't know. Typically, what we've seen is that programs that move leagues, they tend to resemble kind of what they looked like in their previous league. Like Texas A&M's largely been the same thing that they were in the Big 12. Now, to Chase's earlier point, like in this new era, like I have no idea. With rosters changing over as quickly as they do, I have no idea. But at the same time, you do know what Alabama is going to look like in the SEC. Like, are they are they the granddaddy of them all of all the jobs? Probably not right now. But I think you can safely say this: Alabama's spot in the pecking order of the SEC is probably better than what Oregon's pecking order is going to be in the Big Ten. At the very best. You're third in the Big Ten at the very best. And I think that's probably stretching it. You'd rather have Michigan. You'd rather have Ohio State. I think you still probably rather have Penn State. And, and then SC. now we start and SC. Now and now, like now we're starting to do that. Well, at worst, what you'd rather have Texas and Georgia at worst before you get to Alabama. And that's kind of stretching it because at the same time, like. You know, there is an element with Texas and Sark, like, hey, buddy, man, like, this was a good step, but, like, let's see it next year. Yeah, we're still not 100% sold on that as a program year in, year out. Um, Maybe. We'll see. I don't I, I don't know. But, no, you're exactly right about the Big Ten. I mean, Oregon or Washington is going to be, like, the fifth or sixth best job in that league. It just is what it is. And now you're, you know, for half of your games, you're traveling literally what, 2,500 miles? Yeah, across the country. Well, you don't know how it's going to impact recruiting when that gets used against you. That, hey, you know, sure. you're playing in Eugene, but half your games are in, you know, Iowa or Indiana or Minnesota or Illinois or... Yeah, you, um, you, you, have, a, you have a conference game in Pennsylvania. Yeah, conference game in New Jersey. Literally across the... the, the College Park, Maryland. Yeah, I mean, those are, you know, how does that how, how does that work? You know, and maybe it's no big deal, but you don't know until it's been done a little bit. No, the era's got everything thrown off. That, I mean, look, because, I mean, today, our, our number three story is that Ole Miss is replacing its starting running back with just LSU starting running back. And it's like, okay, yeah, just what happens? You just move around, go wherever. Go here, go there. Cool. But here's the thing. Everyone does this deal about Kiffin and Alabama. Lane doesn't... Is Lane really willing to do all of the things that you have to do at Alabama as the head coach? And even Nick Saban had to do these things. I mean, you you got to do a certain degree of the rubber chicken circuit. You've got to do the stuff with the fans. You've you're you're pretty corporate at Alabama. And you're right? detail oriented. Lane is not detail oriented anyway. And Saban is a freaking Swiss watch when it comes to every minute and here yeah. and there and whatever it just it, it would be a complete program 180 that makes no sense yeah it's just the part that i guess the part about the Ole miss that. job that people just don't realize is that Ole miss has taken this sec power five job and they've essentially said hey there, there are no rules you just do whatever you need to do 
you, you want to bring your dog to the hotel, put your, do, let your dog run out and get the tea, all, all the stuff that at a lot of places people would look at it. And, and I'm not picking on Lane. I'm not picking on the dog, any of that. But a lot of people would go, we're bigger than that. Ole Miss, to its credit, went, we're not very big. Let if, if this guy can elevate us, we'll let him be the program. They're not doing that at Alabama. I guess my argument would be this, because I, I think everything that y'all said is true. Although I will say, uh, I don't know of any place more corporate than ESPN, and ESPN's letting their lead college football guy bring his dog everywhere, too, and they're making him a part of the story. I do think whoever replaces Nick Saban is going to have to have incredibly thick skin. And I don't really know of anyone that has probably thicker skin than Kiffin and might have the mentality. And at a place like Alabama, all of the things that Chase said, which are 100% true about Kiffin, you are able to hire as many staff people as possible to maybe make up for the lack of attention to detail. Um, We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I mean, really, it boils down to me to this question. How motivated by, quote unquote, winning championships is Lane Kiffin? Because if if at the end of the day, that's what is motivating him. I don't think Ole Miss gives him the best chance. Ole Miss gives him a better chance than the day that he walked in the building. There's no question. That's a testament to him. It's a testament to the people at Ole Miss. That's a testament to the fan base and how they've all stepped up. Like, I, I think that that is 100% true. I think there's a legitimate argument. No, no school has raised its ceiling in five years like Ole Miss has. They're still behind the schools that we've just mentioned. So if that is the motivating factor for him, at a certain point, it's going to be difficult to just say, please stay, please stay. Oh, don't get me wrong. I think if Alabama offered the job to Lane Kiffin today, he would be gone by noon. 
Well, I mean, I, I don't I'm, see any way they offered him a job. I, I just don't think I don't think that's I don't either. But I'm I don't also, think you know, like had A and M offered him, I think he would have been gone. Yeah, I do too. But that didn't happen either. I mean, I just don't know if Oregon. I don't know if Oregon is that job in an era of uncertainty. Like it's I don't not. know if that's the job. It's not. Alabama's a. Everybody's one big at Alabama. Podcast brought to you in part by GNM Pharmacy and Tyson Drugs there in Holly Springs. GNM in Oxford, Tyson Drugs in Holly Springs. They've got their uh, high dose flu shots for patients over sixty five years old. Or uh, anyone that needs that level of protection, flu obviously going around big time right now. So you can uh, you can get that. You can also get the RSV vaccine they have in uh, stock as well at both locations, Holly Springs and Oxford, and they make it easy. They let you schedule your appointments for your vaccines. Come in, get them, and be on your way. That's six six two to schedule six six two two three six two 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 for GNM in Oxford or six six two two five two two three two one for Tyson Drugs in Holly Springs. Podcast also brought to you by the Ole Miss Athletics Foundation. You've got uh, 2024 football season tickets available now. That's for new and renew tickets. Take advantage of that. Go ahead and get on with it. The excitement is only going to increase prior to the 2024 season. Also, men's and women's basketball, they start conference play this week. You've got SEC mini plans and single-game tickets still available. That is for uh, men's basketball, women's basketball. And then uh, we tell you about multiple campaigns going on right now, the Champions Now campaign. That's the big capital campaign from the Ole Miss Athletics Foundation. You've got Forever Ole Miss if you're looking into state state planning, Vault Society, Empower, a lot of different ways to uh, do philanthropic giving there with the foundation. Also, a reminder, the men's and women's tennis teams have upcoming matches at home later this month. Tickets not required for that. And then, obviously, Morgan Wallen tickets still available. All those things, OleMissTicks.com. I've been telling you that Prime Shrimp has given away free, free shrimp for the entire year to one lucky rebel. Here's how to enter. You go to promshrimp.com slash mpw. Place any order, any order at all. Use promo code JUICE. Take 20% off your order and be entered to win. You can place additional entries by posting your shrimp on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with hashtag primeshrimp. Hashtag mpw. Winners will be chosen on January 31st. So get that orders in. And then also the podcast brought to you by NE Spark. NE Spark is a service people across rural communities. Two packages, the Ignite, the 100 Mbps, or the Blaze. The one gig, it powers the Clark Ford Studio. I've got it at home as well. Your hometown team bringing you world-class broadband. That's anyspark.com. 662-238-3159. Phone service, parental controls, network security, and much more. So, again, get the best internet in Lafayette County. That's 662-238-3159. I mean, to your point. Uh, I mean, Shula won 10 games at Alabama. Yes. Uh, Franchoni won 10 games at Alabama. Mike Dubose won the SEC. Yeah, you, you, Alabama's a Alabama's an elite blue blood job, unquestioned. Period. The end. Is um, Lanning's twenty million dollar buyout going to be prohibitive? <laughs> Those get negotiated down. the The buyout that always matters the most is the one that's always the hardest to get. What's the buyout for firing him? Those yeah. get negotiated, and and even if it's let me just say this. At this point, I don't think Dan Lanning would be this this big of a candidate, this strong of a candidate to Alabama. This is not news to them that $20 million is the, the buyout. But usually what happens in those situations, because you have to hire other coaches, those things get negotiated down. Yeah, I mean, if you're Oregon, are you, do, you, do you want the storyline of the only reason Lanning's here is because of the buyout? 
good luck recruiting. I mean, it just nah. I mean, the problem the problem that Lanning's going to have is the speech he gave. Now, we also can acknowledge yeah. when he gave the speech, the Alabama job was not open. Saban gave one of those too. It turned out all right. Oh, it won't matter at Alabama. Yeah. Saban has 45 wins by 40 plus points, and he has 29 total losses. Well, what, what was the stat that yesterday he was like nine and four against number one ranked teams? Nobody else had more than like four wins. <laughs> like insane. And then it, it's we're mentioning where money is no thing because, if, as we said yesterday on the podcast, if you've got the right guy, you've got the right guy, and Alabama sure as hell has gotten the right guy for 17 years. Out-of-state enrollment at Alabama since Saban has been there has risen from 25.6% to 57.9%. Well, I actually think the more fascinating story, because that one's been, you know, that one's been, you know, the Wall Street Journal profile, all that. I think the the bigger impact is how other SEC schools have had to raise tuition costs because of what out like to compete with Alabama. Auburn, go look at like Auburn's tuition now, even in state is, is something like, $27,000, Now, I understand the cost of education in general has just risen astronomically in the last 10 to 15 years, but it's to me, it's not just the impact that he had on Alabama. It was the impact that he had on the other SEC schools that were trying to keep up. Yeah, Auburn's done tons of building on campus, and that those costs are beginning to roll in, and they're throwing them on the students, shockingly. And hey, no these, DI, these DEI uh programs they don't pay for themselves you know you gotta you gotta fund well, them somewhere you had to hire so much more staff and you're giving all these yeah, people I mean, like you know six figure gigs yeah i mean to to do just to do nothing that's expensive after a while i mean bama has put full-time admissions like recruiters in california yeah and that's i mean it's football based it's athletic department based what's going on so uh, Pete Carroll done. He's finished, right? Yeah. As a coach. Yeah. 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 They can spin that however they want. I watched that press conference two days ago. That was the man that was attending the coach next year. Yeah. He was fired. It pushed him out. Yeah. Yeah. Like, two I, I Super Bowls, Super Bowl win. And honestly, like I don't necessarily think it was the wrong call because I think the Seahawks are in that weird what are we territory where you're still you're clearly behind the Niners. I think you're even behind the Rams. You're behind the Rams. Gino Gino kind of is what he is. So like you're kind of in this we probably need to rebuild, but how like we're still kind of good enough to not Necessarily. But see, I'll make the argument that Carroll's coaching is what even made them competitive with the Rams to where you're having a conversation to begin with. That I roster is not good. Coaching, and I think they got enough. They got enough good players to be mm. exactly what they were, which is fine. I'd agree with you. So to me, you know, with Pete Carroll and Bill Belichick being the NFL stories today, like I think Russell Wilson's Russell Wilson's career after Pete Carroll made you appreciate Pete Carroll a little bit more than probably you did at the time. And what Brady did with the Bucks made you probably devalue a little bit of what Belichick did in his career. Does that mean Bel like Belichick's still, in my opinion, like the greatest coach in NFL history, but 
you know, it it all does go to show like you don't have a quarterback at that league. It's kind of why I'm I'm really struggling with D'Amico Ryan's. And I'm also the same person that's like, don't forget at this point in time, we thought Carson Wentz was infinitely better than Jared Goff. Well, that didn't turn out to be the case because the Texans did have more around C.J. Stroud than whatever Carolina tried to surround themselves with Bryce Young. But there's no question. Like, to me, like, you can't deny when C.J. Stroud gets the ball with, like, one possession to go win the game, you are terrified. And he's a rookie. Like, that's that's starting to get into special territory. It's just why I really struggle with saying, why does someone that has now spent most of his coaching life in the NFL, why would you want to go and be a part of college football right now? Like, I... Yeah, Ryan's is set up for success in Houston. He's he's beloved. You've got your quarterback. I, just, that, that, I mean, hey, I, I know Neil was talking about the element of sentimentality, but that makes no sense to me at all. He played for the Texans, too. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think he's set up to kind of run the South, especially now with the way Jacksonville is scuffling. You can't really figure out Trevor Lawrence. I mean, he said he, look, Trevor Lawrence had a bad year for his Q rating, for his everything. Uh, they're... Oh, there's no question Trevor at best stayed in neutral. Mm-hmm. Even say, like, yeah, and that's that's being very generous, I think, to him. Same time, like, wh- let's go through what Trevor had a knee. Trevor had a shoulder, concussions, an ankle. Like, and I'm not trying to, like, sit there and act like, oh, that that's what kept him from, from being great this year. I mean, at, I was never the world's highest on Trevor coming out, like, even out of Clemson. But at the same time, it's like, Man, it feels it feels like Jacksonville's kind of stuck in where a spot. Well, and look, he, and, and look, he's our guy, but Evan Ingram was his best weapon. Yeah, I mean, you know, Ridley was a disappointment. I thought this year, mm-hmm. um, Christian Kirk, he like he has big play potential, but the other problem is they're so bad up front, like they can't block long enough to take advantage of it. Belichick, it feels like is going to coach again, right? That's I sort yes. of the the weird I think so too, right? Because there's a specific I... rumor that I'm watching. Um, watch the Falcons and Belichick. So the ones that the ones that have been thrown out were uh, the Commanders. I still don't think that's where it's going to go. Um, Florio kept throwing out. Watch out for Tampa, but Tampa made the playoffs, and I think it's going to make. I know everyone's down on the Eagles. I watched every snap of Baker versus the Panthers. Baker's not healthy either. Like I, you can tell me the Eagles, the Eagles win that game, and so then in that weird spot. But the Falcons make sense to me because the Falcons. I just want nothing to do with Belichick at this point of his career. If I'm an NFL fan or team, like I, what 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 shows you that he's going to have some renaissance with you to to go do it. I'd be okay as long as he doesn't have ultimate player control. Will he take a job where he doesn't have ultimate player control? I don't know. He was willing to take he was willing to stay in New England. New England hires Vrabel? That's what it seems like. Yeah. I mean, the problem is on a lot of these things in the NFL, like they have to do a song and dance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's gonna be a week. Correct. Hmm. Are you cool with the Saints keeping Dennis Allen? 
No, 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 no. He has lost the locker room. It, it, it was the point, you probably didn't listen, but like it was the point after all that Jameis scoring victory formation crap. It, it's not even what happened to me. It's that the players admitted they did it on their own, and then Allen was so fast to throw all the players under the bus and go, nope, 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 wasn't me. It's like, dude, back your dudes. I mean, it shows you the disconnect, the lack of leadership. He came off as soft. He he looked like the guy that the Raiders fired. No, no, no. I, I have zero belief in Dennis Allen as the Saints head coach whatsoever. I, I wanted him fired as soon as that played out. I, I would have been much more for him being the coach had he just backed the players and been like, hey, we made a decision. It is what it is. I was trying to think of if there's a player that I've done a bigger 180 on than Jameis Winston. Oh, he's so fun. He's that fun. last year right. at Florida State, I hated him. Like in the same fashion, that's where I originally started hedge betting. I, that was mm -hmm. when I started doing the every time Florida State played, I just bet on Florida State because either either I would win money or I'd get to watch like what would happen. Um, but right now, that exchange between him and the I use I use this term very liberally reporter. Uh-huh. Seem to be implying like, are you not afraid of giving the Falcons bulletin board material? Yeah, because you know what? The Falcons and the Saints, it was starting to cool over. You know, like, yeah, no, there's no way that they'll go into that being a big game next year. Yeah, like, but then watching Jameis, watching Jameis like pretty composed, like pretty composed, handling that whole exchange, and like I found myself like going, go, Jameis, go, get him, get him. I, I wanted him to play all season just because yes. he's more fun. I was like, so just throw him in there. Fun. Let's see what happens. We suck either, either way. Sure. The Vikings game, the Vikings game when he went in and immediately just like started like, screw this. I'm going deep. Like, I'm like, go, Jameis, go. Hey, look, arm talent's never been a problem, Jeffrey. All right. No, we, we got the arm talent. He's never seen a throw he didn't think he couldn't make. No, no, he can't. He didn't see real well. Needs some contacts. Yeah. Those at the other team a lot. Not LASIK. Hey, we can... Not LASIK. We can make the throws, but no, 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 no. I, I am fully team Jameis beyond team Dennis Allen. Get get him out of there. I'm done. No, 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 no. Out. Completely and utterly out at this uh at this point with uh with that. How fast does Bama well, move? I was also think thinking here? about this this morning. Yeah. Sure. It's kind of fitting, right? That Saban and Belichick are both done within twenty four hours of each other. Like the fact that, like, you know, they are they're associated with each other as strongly as they are in there. Yeah, it's, it's ironic for sure. Well, and I mean, Carol and NSC were Bama right before Bama became Bama. Yeah. I mean, cause look, I mean, I, I've been saying this for two weeks. It's been kind of been a talk point on the podcast. Pete Carroll is probably one of three living coaches. That's the best at coaching college players and NFL players and being able to just handle people. And it's Jim Harbaugh. Jimmy Johnson and Pete Carroll. And I think you have to put Pete in front of Harbaugh. Oh, yeah, I do too. Yeah, yeah. I think 100%. Jimmy Jimmy's number one because of the amount like titles at both. Carroll has titles at both, but it feels like you know, even when Jimmy Johnson went to the Dolphins, like they weren't the Cowboys, but they still made the playoffs one year, didn't they? Mm-hmm. Like Carroll's New England tenure wasn't great. The Jets tenure, what was there? One year for the Jets? Is he did have like I feel like Jimmy's got more success at all jobs than than Pete Carroll, so I give him the nod. 
And Carroll ran SC in a way that made it look like it was just players and whatever, but that's a credit to Carroll because like that was an atmosphere and an element to that that made sense for that program. Well, on top of that, that's a like, positive. That's a that's a positive. It wasn't necessarily easy to to do that. I mean, I mean, Pete I, Carroll. If anything, it was he probably should have won a little more nationally at SC. I mean, I'm, I just pulled up his resume: Super Bowl champion, BCS national champion. Two-time AP poll champion because they won the AP poll championship when LSU won the BCS in 2003. Correct. Uh, and then the two-time Orange Bowl, they... seven-time Pac-10 champion. They won it every year from 2002 to 2008, and then National Coach of the Year 2003. Yeah, I mean, he I'm went trying... 83 and 19 as a college head coach. The other, yeah, the the split AP poll. That's probably the year that I don't know. I would have, I think we all as human beings would much rather seen USC LSU that year than LSU and Oklahoma. 100%. But I mean, we're talking about a head coach that if this is it for Pete Carroll, he won 81% of his college games and 58% of his pro games. That'll play every time. Well, he's, yeah, he's got titles in both. And really, I mean, I guess like, you should make the argument, he should have more titles in both. Yeah, I mean, is it, it, the Jets six and ten one year, Patriots ten and six, nine and seven, eight and eight. So frankly, it wasn't awful. He was right after Parcells, right? Uh, that would make sense looking at this. Yes. And then in I Seattle, know. I mean, it's just a hell of a run. I mean, he had one losing season in Seattle the entire time. Two, three. The first two years they were bad, and then once they well, got it one rolling, losing he season, he won a playoff game. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, aware of that. Yeah, I'm just saying you you just had a losing season. I just wanted to clarify that that losing season still had. Yeah, but they had a home playoff game. Oh, we've heard they were at home. Do you know that stadium's loud? Yeah, it's loud. God, Jesus. Had a period of time there where really hated the Seahawks. I mean, it was it was real. They were they were pretty easy to hate for a while. What are we uh we talking Tigers or Grizzlies today, Jeffrey? What are we doing? Uh, I mean, it's, I mean, I actually think that we'll talk a lot of this. Um, there, there'll be the question of like, how you feeling about the old tigers right now? Cause that's their fourth. Really? That's their fifth straight game. That has been too close for comfort. Um, and I think last night was the one that was the most alarming because that UTSA team is not good. Um, so that'll be interesting to see how. Uh, how the spin zones start occurring. I mean, the thing the thing about the Grizzlies is like, yeah, they they've they have played significantly better even without Ja the last two games. The six and nineteen still happen, and those games still count. Like they're you're at the point a, where you actually need them to tank, right? Well, the thing is, and Neil would back me up on this: the Spurs, the Pistons, and the Hornets have done such good work in the tanking department, you can't catch them. So the best you could really hope for is catching Portland, but they're probably in a, a path. Like they're going to kind of be wherever they are, no matter what. So there's no point in actively tanking now because like, you're not going to catch them. And then you just wind up pissing people off. You know, the thing about the Pistons is that yes, they're tanking and they're really, really good at tanking, but they're not really, really good at figuring out that, Hey, at the end of these tanks, you're supposed to draft players that make it where you don't have to tank anymore. Right. 
Like at least that makes no sense. Like you watch their team play and you're like, when you were putting this together, did you think this would work? Yeah, I guess the the argument is like, get the best players you can and then figure it out. It's like, well, no, but I mean, they, they don't, they just have guys that the ball sticks. It just sticks. And they're there's a lot of ball stoppers. A lot of, a lot of great testaments to Kobe out there. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, just Jared Ivey and Cade Cunningham, and they make no sense. They're good well, players. Do. They don't they don't work how, together at all. I do love how Monty Williams, Monty Williams, what what he turned that job down four times, five times, yeah. and then finally they just threw a number at him so high. He's like, guess I'm gonna go coach the Pistons. And he looks miserable. He's he's looks like literal proof of you know what money. Yeah, he literally just took a job for the money. Money does not. It can't be everything. Are they going right. to fire him? No, I mean it's not he his. Probably fault. hope so. I think I mean, his I'm contract sure loves to get fired. Yeah, I mean I'm sure that he'd be thrilled. But nobody's coaching that team to anything more. They're they're not put together well. It's it's like the people that put together the Pistons don't understand the NBA. They don't watch the NBA. Do you not watch NBA teams? Do you not watch successful teams? It's it's bizarre to watch them because they have talent. But every NBA team has talent. You have to, your offense has to have flow and your defense has to have connectivity and, and there's none, zero. By the way, uh, quickly before we go, uh, mm-hmm. does Goldie at Florida realize that uh, the SEC is a dude's league? I know what you're saying. Um, <laughs> now, I would have liked to have seen what their team looked like because Kugel got hurt apparently, or whatever and never came back. He's a big part of their team. but Okay, because I was watching without sound, and I it was just sh- shocking to me because the knock on Ole Miss rights, they can't rebound. They can't rebound. And I'm just sitting there going like, man, Ole Miss has got better athletes. They did. Ole Miss was more athletic than them almost across the board. Now, they still got out-rebounded by Florida pretty bad, but. They rebounded evenly during the part where it was competitive. It got yeah. weird late. Yeah. Um, I think I looked up and it was 29-29 at one point, and then Florida kind of expanded after that from a rebound standpoint. Yeah, it was a – Golden's, like, demeanor and everything was kind of weird last night. I mean, he's he's probably kicking himself a little on that Kentucky game because, I mean, he's 0-2 now kind of staring up at it when they played a really good game on Saturday with a lot of effort at home and just didn't get it done. Yeah, your boy had the money line. That was, oh, did you really? That, that was fun. I yeah, kind of yeah. like this Kentucky team. They they got good kids. Yeah. Oh no, Kentucky's all, all the way around. Good, 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 good team. Kids. Good kids there. Yep. Appreciate it, bud. Talk soon. All right, be good. All right, Jeffrey Wright joining us there on the Campbell Clinic Hotline. I mean, where do you? I mean, this is that podcast speculation deal. As we kind of close the Alabama thing and move on for a few minutes. Just because Saban is no longer on the sidelines, I mean, are we bumping them down at all in the hierarchy? I mean, are you putting them below Texas? Yeah, I, I just don't know where they are from an NIL standpoint. I mean, I, I go back to what I've been consistent on, on this, and I think this will apply to Alabama in a post-Saban world. What Saban did, incredible, remarkable, historic. Does that mean that the next guy will? Nope. No. Nope. And it's... College football is about doing what Alabama did, which is get the guy and then get the hell out of his way and figure out what his image is, the way it runs. You do it because, I mean, what Lane and Ole Miss are doing is a version of that. 
Saban and Kiffin are 180s in a lot of ways, but it's, hey, you're the dude. We're, we're just going to support, and you tell us what you want to do, and we'll do that. And it looks nothing necessarily alike, but it's the same get-out-of-the-way, not-going-to-be-provincial kind of deal as you yeah. as you move forward. Yeah, I, so. I don't know what Alabama looks like. I don't know what their NIL situation is. I mean, you mentioned it in passing earlier. I mean, look at yesterday. A year ago, Logan Diggs leaves Notre Dame to go to LSU. A year later, he leaves LSU to go to Ole Miss, and no one even thinks anything of it. We're like, oh, yeah, well, you know. Ole Miss needed a running back because Quinshawn Judkins left to go to Ohio State. That's so college football back, yeah. today. That's college football today. It's it's weird. I mean, it, it, it it's not... It's not the way that this isn't a knock on Saban at all, but it's not the way that Saban built the powerhouse that he built for 17 yeah. years. So in the new rules with the new the new way that kids look at it and all the stuff, can you can you come close to replicating that with a new coach? I don't know. I mean, my guess is probably not. I mean, I I I think they'll take a step back. I think they were already taking a step back. Speaking of Diggs, he has a significant knee injury. I've uh, had multiple people tell me that he's expected to be 100% at the beginning or a couple weeks into the season just from a timeline standpoint, as long as it's a 2024 normal type of ACL recovery. There's optimism that there would be no fall off at that point. Ole Miss's soft schedule uh, at the beginning of the year was part of the reason why Diggs and Ole Miss became a thing and is what it is. Look, he, he's not going to take over Judkins' level of carries. When Sean Judkins averaged 273 carries over the last two seasons, I think Diggs had like 115 for LSU, 165 for Notre Dame, something like that, 118 for LSU. Somewhere in uh, somewhere in there, this is going to be a by-committee approach. They need Bentley to stay healthy. It's going to be Bentley. It's going to be Diggs. It's going to be Riscano to whatever level. Ole Miss continues to say that they really like him despite him not getting a carry. In 23, and then it's also possible Ole Miss adds another back in this May period. They are not 100% yeah. done from a depth standpoint. Um, saw that last night that they that they definitely could, could could add another back to the arsenal as this thing moves forward. But yeah, it's don't be don't look at it as a Diggs Judkins one for one. And I guess is what I'm saying. This is a this is a trying to put together a stable and you know for all the talk about what is or isn't Ole Miss does play money ball in some ways and this is going to be a money ball approach at running back it's not going to be go get one dude and just hand him the ball 35 times so that's where they're sitting at right here as this thing moves forward which is kind of what the NFL does mhm you know find some backs it. some different kind of dudes yeah give them different roles and hope for some help and go from there yeah as we mentioned there uh, a minute ago, Ole Miss 103.85 last night over Florida. They uh, might have led throughout. Um, frankly, I don't remember if Florida had an early lead. I guess Florida had a little bit of an early lead. Um, and then once Ole Miss took the lead, they got up by 10 and then really separated from there. I don't think it ever got below 14 or so from that point. Uh, just shot through their trouble. Ole Miss shooting 59% from the field last night, 40% from three, 85% from the line. I mean, good God, just shot the hell out of it. Um, did get out-rebounded 44-34, but as mentioned, it was fairly close there for the competitive part of the game. Just torched on the offensive rebound category again, though, 26-10 to 10 Florida there on the uh, the offensive side. I mean, Neil, it's it's a huge game for Ole Miss. It was a game they needed. It was a game they got. It was all those different things. They have a golden opportunity to get to two and one on Saturday against Vanderbilt and then take a 
haymaker into Baton Rouge and see what happens to try to get to three and one. The schedule opens yeah. up for a minute right here. But, you know, when, when, I, when I came away and I left, I went, hey, it was it was a very, very impressive game. They did rebound better, I thought. But when you get it out-rebounded like that on that offensive end and just keep giving up extra possessions and extra possessions, it is requiring you to shoot like that to some extent. And you're just not always going to do that. That was sort of my – that was my little bit of cold water when I was leaving. I was like, I don't – I mean, you put up over 100 for the first time since 2001. You obviously shot the hell out of it. But you're having to have the level of blocks that Sharp had last night and shoot like that to overcome all the second chances that the opponents are getting. Yeah, the rebounding thing remains a major concern. I thought they did, yeah. as we've referenced earlier, I th and Chris said this last night, for 32, 33 minutes, I thought they did rebound the ball a lot better. They did. Um, so that's something to build on. The last seven minutes, Florida played with their hair on fire. They were desperate. I'm sure that Ole Miss up 21, 22, 23 points probably said, hey, we've got this one. And so you lose a little of your edge. So all those things are sort of normal. Um yeah, they shot it really well. They def I thought they defended well in the open court. They they protected the basketball really well. I think Ole Miss had eight turnovers the whole game. Um, and managed their front court without a lot of depth when it was a pretty tight whistle. I thought that they got pretty tic-tac on whistles there, especially in the second yeah. half, and kind of increased the foul numbers and stuff like that. I mean, Cissé fouls out, sharpens up with three or four by the end of the game, something along those lines. I, I, I thought the, the flow got a little weird there. Um, from a from a foul standpoint, um, there in the in the second half, it was a game they had to win and they won it. And so now you play another game against Vanderbilt that you have to win, and uh, I suspect they'll win it. And then they have a couple of road games next week, and you try to steal one on the road. And then look, the the, the whole goal their their net was I saw this morning's up to like fifty four, fifty five, fifty six somewhere in there. So they're starting to creep into. The bubble territory, um, as long as you don't stumble against the bad teams in the league, you're, you're probably going to be in really good shape. And if they can just get to 9, 10 SEC wins, and make, I think that puts them on, on pace to make the tournament. And Chris is never going to say this. He's going to talk about winning and winning national championships and that kind of thing. This is obviously not a national title team. So this this is a team that making the tournament, just making the tournament Huge. would be such an incredible accomplishment after three and fifteen a year ago. Three and fifteen. Ole Miss went four and sixteen in twenty SEC games last year. Yeah. I mean it was it was I saw people complaining about the crowd or whatnot. Look. It's not going to be an overnight thing. If it were that easy, everybody would win. I just didn't think the crowd was that bad because, like, I, I know people get mad about qualifiers, but it was an eight o'clock tip on January the tenth. I mean, it on just a, is on Wednesday. What it is. The kids aren't in school. Those that Jackson are in school, people aren't coming up for that game. No, and those that are in school have intercession classes, and intercession classes are pretty intense. If you've never taken one. I mean, I've got a daughter in one right now. They're every day. You've got stuff. It's a you've class crammed into two weeks. It's two weeks, and you're cramming a semester into two weeks, and it's intense. So I don't know how many of those people are like, hey, you know what? Let's go to a basketball game tonight. Um, and then, yeah, people aren't coming up from Jackson 
for an eight o'clock tip that's not going to end until 10 something. They don't get out until 11. They're not back into Madison, Ridgeland, those areas until 1.30 in the morning. They're just not doing that. And, and so it's just going to take a minute for these things to kind of come to fruition. Um, but again, I, I just, they're 14 and one, one and one in the league. If you had told me a year ago after two SEC games, hey man, Ole Miss is going to be 14 and one next year, one and one in the league, I would have said, what league? Yeah, and they hug a hundred on Florida. By the way, I would have been like, "What did they did they join the Sun Belt? I mean, what happened? I, I mean, I wouldn't have believed you. It's a, it's a remarkable accomplishment. They're 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 competitive, they're viable, they're relevant. That's step one. People are, I think, most and and ninety something percent of the people listening to this agree with me. But the people that want more than that, it's just going to take a minute. I mean. It, and it's a hard league. Look at last night. Tennessee goes to Mississippi State, loses. State played really well. Um, Arkansas went to Georgia, lost. Um, it, it's it's yeah, a tough Georgia league. Georgia 2-0 in the league early. It's hard to go get road wins in this league, period. Yeah, that's what Florida saw. That's why that was such a missed opportunity for them against Kentucky. And then you come here and you get popped and you head back home and you see where it goes. Breakfield goes for 28 last night, 11 of 16 from the field. I think he's had more than 15, what, five straight games at this point. Uh, Morrell, 8 of 12 from the field. I mean, just really carried by their, their leaders there. Uh, Cissé, 3 for 3, was efficient for six points, protected the, the thing. Uh, Sharp set the school record for blocks last night. Nine, is that correct, Neil? Was that the yeah. number? Yep, yeah. nine. Eight points, nine boards, nine, uh, nine blocks. Yeah, he was very active last night. Uh, and then 17 points from uh, Flanagan last night. I mean, your four guys there um, that you're most counting on to score 28, 12, 17, and 23 for the, uh, Jamin, for the When Jamin's playing well offensively, this is a good offensive team. He seemed he seemed confident and efficient last night in all ways. He was very, very good. That, to me, is what sticks out. Is I, I watch Morell play. I watch Brakefield play. And I know this always sounds like I'm picking on Kermit. I'm not. Those were not confident players last year. Mm -hmm. And now they are. It's, it's it's just one hell of a coaching job. Yeah. I hope you faded us instead of uh, went with this yesterday. Um, we were worried about the rebounding in the uh, Florida game for Ole Miss. Thought that that two and a half might be uh, evident of something. Mississippi State uh, was favored, and then they uh, beat the Vols up. And then uh, UCF gets a win over Kansas at home last night there in, mm -hmm. uh, in Orlando. So made Ole Miss's win in that same building look, look a little better. It's a good night for the Rebels kind of all around from a metric standpoint, especially getting the help from UCF there. But we said uh, you've got uh, Vanderbilt on Saturday. The doors are, I think, 5-10 and 10 overall. I think they are 0-2 in the SEC. Well, I'm sure they're 0-2 in the SEC. At this point, and then like I said, a trip to Baton Rouge next week as uh, as well. Just quickly, because it's the last time we'll uh, all be together this week. The Saturday schedule for the SEC. Got it right here. Let me get it up real quick. Um, Tennessee is at Georgia on suddenly, which is kind of an interesting game. Mike White has the Bulldogs playing pretty well. You got them there at Stegman for the, uh, the day. That's an 11 o'clock game on ESPN2. Vanderbilt and Ole Miss is at noon on SEC Network. Obviously, at the Pavilion, Kentucky is at Texas A&M. That is a 1 o'clock game on ESPN on Saturday. South Carolina is at Missouri. Looks like the Tigers got to get that one. 
SEC Network at 2.30 on Saturday. Arkansas scuffling. The Razorbacks struggling. They're at Florida, so a must-win kind of for Todd Golden early there against Arkansas at home. Um, that is a 3 o'clock game on ESPN. LSU is at Auburn. Good luck to the uh, Bayou Bengals in that one. That's at Neville Arena at 5. And then Alabama is in Starkville to close up the night. Alabama-Mississippi State at 7.30 Saturday. That would be a good game. SEC Network. That – Going up against the uh, NFL schedule that is quite good this weekend, as we talked about earlier in the uh, earlier in the uh, the week. So uh, if you're an Ole Miss fan, you can go check out Ole Miss. You can watch Vanderbilt, and then you still can make that first uh, that game, the Texas and the Browns, kicking off at three thirty there on. Uh, I don't remember the channel to be honest. Peacock for Dolphins and Chiefs. I do not remember the channel for the Browns and Texans off the top of my head. Thank you, Browns, um, Texans, NBC. To the best of our knowledge, we should have a normal week from a podcast standpoint. It might not look exactly the same, but I think we'll be able to uh, to do whatever, assuming Neil's situation goes well today, as as expected. Um, if it you're going to be a little immobile. We should really have a rich person. Do what? Right. If it doesn't go well, my wife's about to be a really rich person. Okay. Well, I didn't mean to that level of not well. But. Good for her. <laughs> I mean, you probably get some malpractice stuff in there, too. I mean, she... She'd walk out of that pretty good. She could do you have do you have anxiety before surgeries? No, I mean, do you not? If it's my time, it's my time. I don't like just in general. Yeah, I mean, I I had so many when I was younger that I'm like it, it's almost kind of routine. I was kind of like, yeah, okay, sure, go go do it. Because I mean, I had four eye surgeries by the time I was through fifth grade, so it was like, hey, it's it's whatever, it's cool. Uh, I guess I've been, I guess I've been put to sleep for surgery seven times. Oh, yeah. I don't like all the needles and stuff. I, I bruise a lot. That's the one thing I sort of dread. But Oh, really? Yeah, and then this is like day one of, all right, next six weeks, you're not eating. We're not, because I can't exercise like I normally do. So How uh, how are you going to handle the mental part of the lack of movement for six weeks? Uh, that's a good question. I'm just going to really focus on eating as little as humanly possible. Okay. Read a little more. Occupy your yeah, mind. Read. I'll probably watch, catch up on some stuff and. You know how this job is. It never really stops. So you, you know? work your upper body just to try to keep something moving? Yeah, I have found some stuff that I can do, like, upper body-wise. But you got to be careful doing upper body because you do use your legs for balance and stuff, and you don't want to make a mistake. So I don't I don't, I don't know what rehab is going to look like, like actually going to rehab and stuff. So we'll see. I mean, I'm, I'm going to get through it and – Look at the I got medicine. these adjustable dumbbells if you want them for while you're sitting down. Yeah, I've got some of those here. Okay. I'm I'm I mean I'm I'll do some stuff. I'm just I'll just wait and wait till I get cleared and look forward to uh being able to be active again this summer. Yeah. So all right, Neil's got that today. We appreciate Jeffrey for his time. Again, Ole Miss and Vanderbilt Saturday noon from the pavilion and the Rebels last night. They knock off the Gators 103-85, again, breaking the 100-point mark in an SEC game for the first time since 2001, the Sweet 16 team. Therefore, the Rebels uh, a good while ago. So uh, we'll have more coverage of Rebel Grove. Again, already kind of got nuggets going this morning on digs a little bit and whatever else pops as the day and the weekend moves on. Got some more podcasts coming your way as well. I know of at least two um, before the, uh, the week gets out of the way, before tomorrow night gets there. So uh, that and more coming up on MPW Digital, and we'll talk to you again uh, probably together on Monday. This is the story of The One. 
As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.